I remember thinking, getting closer to Sacramento and starting to realize like, this looks familiar, this looks really familiar. Like I just got this burst of energy. It was almost like a surreal feeling. Like I couldn't really feel my legs, but I was picking up pace. And then at mile like 25 and a half, I looked up and I just saw my whole family there. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like I just got this like other burst of energy. I like gave them like a, like a fist bump, I like yelled. And then I think I ended up finishing like well under six minute pace in the last mile. It was just like, I've never finished a race and just been smiling for the whole last mile, especially a marathon. Like I probably looked like, <laughs> I probably looked crazy. I was just smiling the whole last mile of a marathon. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. Like I finished and I was almost in tears of how happy I was with how it went. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 75 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Megan Flynn is resilience redefined, overcoming six stress fractures in her high school and college running years and one post-collegiately before a monster breakthrough at CIM where she scorched a 246 marathon. That many injuries would have broken the will of even the most hardcore of runner, but only strengthened Megan's resolve and sent her on a quest to learn more about anatomy and nutrition, influencing her to pursue a career as a DPT physical therapist. Growing up in a close-knit, super-competitive family no doubt forged her competitive fires. Megan radiates positive energy and is excited about the opportunity to take a big swing at the new Olympic Trials Marathon standard of 237 and will either be returning to CIM or Philly in the fall. Megan recently joined Garden State Track Club, where she looks forward to racing on the track, developing her speed, and having fast friends to accompany her on long runs in her build-up. We discuss family life, competitive fire, mentors, deep dive on injuries, nutrition, inside tracker, mindset, staying positive through all of it, getting healthy, getting stronger, breaking through, mantras, future goals, and community service. I'm stoked to follow Megan's inspiring journey. I hope you all enjoy her infectious energy as much as I did. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Good evening, Megan Flynn. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing? I'm good, Ron. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Fellow Jerseyite on the pod with me. We got, we're rocking NJ today. Go Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So hey, for a, just a quick intro, tell everybody like where you grew up because it's a little bit of an unknown small town. You're a very big town that everyone knows because uh, even I, when I first saw your info come across to me, I was like, huh, where is this place? Tell us a little about where you grew up and what it was like uh, as a kid. So I grew up in Robbinsville, New Jersey, which anytime I tell people where I'm from, I always say it's close to Princeton, it's close to Hamilton. So I think it's like a five mile little bubble in the middle of Mercer County. Um, so yeah, I grew up there for the first, for my first like 18 years and then went to college and my family still lives there. Still centered down there. It's beautiful. So, you, I mean, Princeton, I'm sure you uh, spent many, uh, many time in your youth over there using their athletic facilities, probably doing athletic camps and, and running and all kinds of other stuff, right? 
Oh, yeah. And I went to school. Uh, I went to undergrad at TCNJ, the College of New Jersey, um, which is right down the road from Princeton. So we would always go there to meet up for runs or meet up like, I mean, their Nassau Street, their Main Street's great. So I'm very familiar with that area. <laughs> yeah. Great place to party. Great place to eat, hang out or in the morning for breakfast, coffee uh, and definitely running. I mean, you got a good running shoe store in town. Any town that doesn't have a good running shoe store, we know is really not going to count for runners. So if no. there's not a good place to roll in and pick up some uh, carbon fiber shoes, we don't, we don't even want to know about it. You know, so, you no. know, Princeton, you got you got that all going on for sure. And, um, you know, what about your family? Give us a little background on your family. What size family? How many brothers and sisters? You know, who was athletic? Stuff like that. So I'm one of three. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother. We're very evenly spaced and we're all pretty close. I mean, when we were younger, we always had like your typical sibling rivalries, which I mean, <laughs> happens in every family. Um, but as we got older and more mature, we became pretty close. Um, but yeah, so growing up, my brothers and I were very, very competitive with each other and just about everything. like. For example, my older brother decided that he wanted to give up uh, soda when he was like, I don't know, eight or 10. So he challenged my younger brother, like, oh, you can't do it. You can't give up soda. You can't give up. You can't do that. So my younger brother did it. And then I was like, well, I want in on this. So we turned that whole thing into like a competition. And to this day, I mean, we don't really even drink soda. I absolutely love it. So game night, boards were getting flipped over. Somebody was stealing extra money, Monopoly. People were cheating. My brothers and I would play Stratego or games like that or Battleship. Somebody would always be like propping some mirror behind the other player's board so you could see what's going on. I mean, I mean, there's like no rules when it's, a, when it's a family like that that rolls and they're competitive. I mean, you better be prepared to mix it up if they show up at your house for game night, right? Yeah, you called it. Anytime we played, uh, we would try to play Trouble or have like family game nights. The board would get flipped every time. Um, and then Monopoly, whoever was the banker, like it always ended up having to be my dad to keep an eye on it, but it would always turn into some some argument. Yeah. And see, the thing about it is, is dads get put in that role, but dads can be cheating just as easily as the, as the kids can. I mean, you know, who knows for sure? Dad, mom could be like ripping everybody off. But yeah, I mean, I know that family structure and, and we're team middle kids. So we know what it's all about. I mean, when you're in the middle, man, you're ready to mix it up with anybody for any reason. Like, it's like, what? You want to, you think you could do this better than me? Like, what are you talking about, man? That's, that's how, like, that's how I became good at anything. It's like my older brother was like, you know, fully grown, like five foot 11 at like 11 years old, hitting balls, like a hundred feet over the scoreboard. And I'd be on second base watching the thing go up like a missile. Like what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know? So I was always like, he's like a fully grown man. And I'm this little pipsqueak kid, you know? But I was like, <laughs> Not afraid of him or anybody else. Like, let's go. Let's mix it up. We got it going on. So that kind of family structure, I love it because it sets you up for life, man. Life is a grind. Life is a battle. And uh, it's not always that way. But hell, man, the world we're living in these days, it sure as hell is. So no doubt, you know, that competitive environment um, it feeds on everything. And as you said, even something as simple as, you know, somebody giving up Coca-Cola or something turns in to a competition. So whoever was the fastest or the best basketball player or anything else, immediately that gave you your goals to shoot for. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I attribute a lot of like, I mean, I'm so very, we're all very competitive still. Um, but I definitely attribute a lot of that to when we were younger, when we were growing up. <laughs> 
Good stuff. And what about mom and dad? Were they athletes? Yes. So we didn't find out until later that they both used to ski competitively and they never took us skiing when we were younger. So they told us this when we were, I think I was like a freshman in college. I was like, you never, because I was going to go on my first ski trip. And they just decided to drop this little bit of information. I was like, you never decided to take us. Um, But I still think to this day, it's because they know how dangerous it can be. Yeah. All of a sudden, mom and dad are off on the black diamonds and you guys are on the bunny hill, like holding onto the tow rope out of nowhere. Like this, this does, this isn't adding up. You know, they're like, they had some secret life. They were spies and they were skiing over in Europe. There might be more to that story. You'll have to, you'll have to dig in. Yeah. Off to the poke around a little bit more. Um, But yeah, my dad was a big baseball player. Um, And my mom, my mom actually ran for a little bit too. Um, But neither of them really came from like a running background. Good. But I mean, overall, obviously athletic, your brothers are athletic and you guys played a bunch of sports, right? Nobody was like focusing on just one thing, right? The idea was, Hey man, experiment, play a bunch of things. I mean, did they just say, Hey, pick your, pick what you want to sign up for? Or was it like, no, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. How did, how did that roll? So when we were younger, my parents signed us up for like every recreational league that they could find, right. To keep us busy and get some energy out too. Um, and then as we got older, like we could see, like they could see what we were interested in, what we weren't like, for example, I tried softball for a little bit and it just wasn't for me. Um, my opinion, there wasn't as much moving around as, <laughs> as I would have liked, but, um, but yeah, so they signed us up for just about everything, like, and then let us choose as we got older. So when we got into like middle school sports and where you'd stay after school and start having like more routine practices and everything, um, then they had us choose one per season. Love it. So you got to experiment, try different stuff out and decide softball wasn't your thing or something else versus, you know, like you're going to play lacrosse or you're going to play field hockey. Um, I like the exposure for a bunch of reasons. For one thing, you know, you get to play and hang out with other kids because you're playing different sports. And so different kids are going to be trying different sports. And B, you're going to be exposed to different coaches and different philosophies because everyone's different. I mean, some are the coddling type that are soft and just be like, hey, thanks for coming out on the team. And others are like, you suck, Megan, go run 20 laps because, you know, you weren't paying attention or you're talking to somebody. But all of those different styles help us, man. We got to like deal with how do we process this person's style approach? How do we fit in on this team? And then effectively, can I be any good at this thing? You know, and like, is this something I want to like roll with? you know, moving forward. So at what age did you like figure out like what your favorite sport was like before running kind of came into the picture? So I really loved basketball when I was younger. It was probably my favorite sport to play. Um, I played that, let's see, I probably played that up until like, up until eighth grade. Um, And I was, I loved it. I mean, I would like spend all the time outside, like shooting like on the driveway, play with my brothers and everything. Um, yeah, I'd say basketball was my favorite until I found running. Nice. It's a little tough at your size to rock in basketball. I mean, (laughs) it's fun. It's fun, but you know, like your shot could get rejected, you know, but again, it toughened you up, man. I guarantee if you're playing ball with your brothers, you guys were throwing the elbows. People were like mixing it up. It was all, it was all going down. Right. Yeah. (laughs) The funny story. So, um, when high school tryouts came up for basketball, one of my friends had was very, um, very brutally honest about uh, pointing out the obvious, I guess. So I was about like five foot, maybe if at, at this point, 
like less than a hundred pounds. I was like very tiny. Um, and they're like, you probably shouldn't play basketball <laughs> at your size for the high school. And I was like, all right, maybe they have a point after like being a little upset about it. I was like, okay, maybe they have a good point. I'll do track and just stay in shape for other sports. And then that was the first time I ran. So that was the intro. Um, but you know, not what you expected, you know, basketball was your love. You were really into it, but sometimes it takes tough love from a friend coaches. Sometimes to, you know, they'll love having a kid on a team like that and they'll keep them there forever. They're not going to say, Hey man, you should try out once in a while. I'll get a guest across from me and they'll be like, the coach will be like, no, you're not any good in gymnastics or, you know, you're not any good in swimming, you know, go, you should really go run or, you know, look, you're not really a soccer player, you know, go, go run, go, go do, go do track and field or go do cross country. But for the most part, you know, coaches are, they don't really say that that often. I think it's super cool. The ones that did, um, because nowadays we have to be so friggin' politically correct. I mean, people are afraid to say anything and, you know, people, I think just get softer because of it. I mean, it's good to be told shit like that. So I'm like, you know what, Megan, this isn't going to be for you, man. You know what? You should really get into running or, you know, you got some speed, you got wheels, you know, give that a try. I appreciate, I appreciate the tough love kind of coaches. Yeah. Yeah, well, me Definitely. too, but they're not for everybody, as we know. I mean, everybody thrives based on certain styles. Um, and we'll get into your own running, you know, further down the road here before we get into your story. Um, because if you're going to actually hire a coach or you're going to run for a competitive team like we both do, you run for Garden State Track Club and I run for Central Park Track Club, like that's like window shopping. That's like, I'm going to make a big decision here. It's like buying an engagement ring or I'm going to propose to get married. Like, it's a big deal. Like, you got to put some real thought and consideration into it. Like, is this group a group that I could roll with? Do they seem super competitive? Yes, but also are they fun? Like, because you want that balance. You want people that are going to make you laugh, that are going to roll miles with you. But at the same time, man, you want to get better. You want to hit your potential. You want people to roll hard workouts with and run really competitive times with that are going to push you to be make the best version of Megan or whomever it is. So it's a big, you know, those are like big decisions, you know, that you have to make. And again, coaching style individually, it's very different. Once you get out of high school, college, post-grad, and then start to run on your owner for a team, like that's probably the biggest thing, man. It's like, who am I going to fit in with and get to be like the best version of me and develop, Right. Absolutely. I mean, making a decision to join a team, you have to look at, okay, what are their, first of all, what, when do they practice? Do they meet up for workouts? What's the coaching style? Like, is there a specific coach for the team or do they all have different coaches and work together that way? And then seeing if there's a group that you can actually work with, like at, at your current level. And then is there one at the next level that can kind of pull you if you do end up improving, which hopefully you do. Um, that will end up like pulling you with them, pull you to the faster times. Um, and then, I mean, for me, um, choosing to run with Garden State made a lot of sense because they have like they have groups of all different levels. And I know there's a group that's going to pull me to get faster in the shorter stuff. There's a group that's going to pull me to get faster in the marathon. And they're also all over the state of New Jersey. So I am currently in the process of moving down to central New Jersey where I know they have a lot of their meetups there. So like, this is a no brainer. <laughs> that's good. So that's going to be a good fit. And also developmentally for your running, um, they also are very involved with uh, the track and field meets, 
cross country meets, like where the competitive teams are going to run and, and really roll out their best teams, you know, whether it's at the armory during indoor season or, you know, over in Staten Island, um, you know, running indoors. And then of course, you know, if you want to do outdoors and cross country, around running Van Cortland, stuff like that. So that gives you an opportunity to really, you know, if you want to focus on the marathon, yes, but those other areas can really help you sharpen, work on your speed, work on your strength and, you know, keep you healthy, like for the future. So good stuff. Absolutely. So when does running really become in the picture? So we get the basketball situation, you kind of start running. Um, and that was interesting. Um, because man, you went through a lot of stuff in your youth with running and injuries before you arrived at this place where you are now, but it's a really important part of your story. Also, even more importantly, is what you're doing for a living as a physical therapist, <laughs> you know, doctor of physical therapy. So like, and I, I'm really curious to know if like your injuries may have had something to do with what you ended up doing with your own career because you just wanted to know more about the body or to help other runners or other athletes. Because obviously every athlete who plays every sport, whether it's field hockey, lacrosse, basketball, we all get injured, we all get broken, and we all have to get fixed. So how about that? Absolutely. I mean, all of all my injuries, which I'll talk about in a second, they definitely opened my eyes to physical therapy and our big reason why I ended up going into it. Um, but with PT, like, I slowly started getting exposed to like, to all different areas of physical therapy. Like, for example, I just started a job today working in an inpatient rehab hospital Whereas a couple of weeks ago, I was working treating runners in New York City. Um, but taking a little step back of how I found running. So I was playing, my initial plan in high school was to do field hockey, go to basketball, and then lacrosse. So nothing to do with running whatsoever. Um, so I did field hockey in the fall. And then I found like we had this uh, time trial that we get to run like a mile and a half in some time. And I loved it. Like everyone else hated it. I was complaining. I was like, this is great. And I ended up, I don't remember what I ran, but I was like, the coach was like, yeah, you should probably think about like maybe doing indoor outdoor track, but I just shrugged it off. Um, and then basketball rolled around, which I, I talked about like, all right, tough pill to swallow, but maybe this won't be for me. <laughs> um, and then I was between swimming and indoor track and I ended up doing indoor track, obviously where I was introduced to my high school coach who was a big had a huge influence on, on me in terms of running and honestly, like motivation, like longevity in the sport. But, um, so I started doing indoor track. I had some pretty good success for a new runner. Um, like my first mile race, I ended up running, I think like around a five fifty. So my coach planted the seed, like, Oh, you should think about like maybe giving this a try in the spring. And the season went on and I was dropping times. I think I got down, I dropped down to like 520 or something in the mile. And he was like, you should really do spring track. I was like, okay, I've never played lacrosse before. Let's stick with this. This is kind of fun. I really enjoyed the team. I enjoy running. Like, let's go with this. Um, so then spring track comes around and it keeps getting, like I uh, keep improving with the workouts and the races. And I ended up winning a couple like, group and sectional championships. I was like, I kind of like this. This is, <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> it never hurts. Um, so then from there, I was like, man, I can't, I can't imagine going back to field hockey now. So I ended up switching over to cross country that fall. And then from there, it was all running. <laughs> Sweet. Um, 
it's so ironic how it can be a run like that where they tell you go do a mile and a half or go do some weird obscure distance and you come back and everyone else is hating it and you love it. So it just flashes me back to my college baseball. I played at JMU and we used to have to run before we would do batting practice. And it was like about a three mile run. And whoever came in fastest to slowest got the most batting practice time, extra time in the cage versus the least. I won every time. I just, I would take it out so hard, like literally like VO2 max, max, like can't even breathe. And I would just keep looking around the corners and then there was like nobody there. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm safe. Like I would just run. So I know exactly what you're talking about because I didn't run. I didn't run until my mid thirties. So unlike you, I didn't discover that I could have been a really good runner. I played college baseball and loved that. Um, but it only takes one person noticing you doing that. And of course you noticed it too, which is as big or bigger than a coach noticing it. Cause you realize like, Hey, I really like this. This is really fun. And then a shift, a transition occurs. You weren't really doing lacrosse anyway. So you kind of just like chopped it off the block and then you make the commitment and you get involved with running. So I know that particular coach had a big influence on you. So what was what was the connection? Like what made it special? And, you know, look, you're only a couple of years out of school. It's not like this is 10 or 20 years ago. It's just, it's really very recent past for you, but still like what was, what was special about the connection and, you know, what do you remember about it or look back on and think about today as you're running and using it to help guide your own running today? So, um, my, my coach in high school, um, Michael Walker, he, had a way of like, he was able to figure out like the competitive nature in me and use it more like more to gear me toward goals. Like I'm very thankful today for him because a lot of high school coaches that would get somebody to come in with a lot of like, I don't know, come in with that competitive nature and um, like, like being motivated and showing a little bit of talent would take advantage of that and end up running them into the ground. And I'm very fortunate for him that he was like, okay, this is going to be the long-term plan. He's like, but I want you to get these goals. And he really fed into that like motivation. He got me so into the sport. Like I was tracking runners, like I was tracking like the professional runners already. I knew everyone's times in high school, college, what I would need to do to beat this person and all of that. Like he would sit down and talk strategy with me race by race. And that really, like, I really bought into all of that. That's awesome. So A, he figured out how to harness your competitive streak, which is really important, um, but harness it in a way that's constructive versus destructive, um, because that happens all too often, um, running kids into the ground, pushing them too far, um, giving them unreachable goals, you know, because maybe they're focused on their own glory or the team's glory as opposed to the kid and wanting them to develop and be healthy and natural. Um, so those are great lessons. And, you know, anytime a kid gets enthused about the sport and I see it in your face, like, and you're wanting to learn about what others are doing, that's how we get better at anything. That's, that's what life is, man. Like nobody just gets to this place. Like everyone wants to talk about Kipchoge and all this stuff. Like people just have no idea this guy has so much money and he lives on a farm in Kenya. He works in the field with his workers. Like he... It's a communal lifestyle where his training partners are with him all the time and he's just eating the simplest foods and reading books on self-improvement. And everything he does is about making himself a better human being first, a better human. And then running is just like, it comes along 
for the rye. Um, and he's remarkable. And, you know, like, so the learning element, you know, if you have that in your personality, you'll always be better at anything you choose to do in life. Because when you become a student of things, it's not like, well, Megan did this because no, 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 no. Megan is a baller. Megan works her ass off. Megan's come through a lot of stuff to get where she is. Like, that's what it takes. Like, so, all right. And figuring out like, wow, like if I keep doing these things, I can get stronger. I can have these really, really big goals down the line and, you know, shoot for them. So are you still like working with him today at all? Or are you just like stay in touch because he's like super proud of how you're running and stuff like that? We still, uh, we still keep in touch. Um, he's actually now the coach at my college that I went to at my undergrad, which, um, I, I wrote one of his recommendation letters to help him get there, but, um, yeah, he, he's at the college now. I used to babysit for his kids when I was at school there. Um, and I still keep in touch with him. He'll text me like when I like if I run a PR, he'll text me congratulations. When I finally broke uh, the five minute mile, he he's the one that set that goal or put that planted that seed in my mind like back when I was uh, like 14, 15 years old, maybe. And I finally got it when I was 28. <laughs> So he saw that and was pretty excited about that. So we still keep in touch. Um, he's not my coach right now because he has the whole college team to coach. Um, but yeah, we still keep in touch. Um, another thing that I really, that I forgot to mention earlier that I really appreciated um, is that he was more of the tough love kind of coach. Like if it was, for me, the worst thing is if if I have a bad race and somebody comes up and is like, oh, good job. Like, no, you know, that wasn't a good job. <laughs> And, but he would come up and be like, okay, what happened? Or just like, it would be like, all right, that wasn't your best, but how do we fix it? Like more of the constructive, like look toward the next, look toward the next race. Yeah. Well, it's great that you bring it up because, you know, for all the runners listen to my show and there's so many that are self-coached. There are so many that are using a great coaching platform. Like, you know, I had Brendan O'Leary on from O'Leary Racing Team on. I've had a lot of athletes on from McCurdy uh, Performance. Um, I know Greg McMillan personally, Greg used to coach me, you know, he came up with the McMillan calculator and has written tons of books and was a great runner himself and still runs, you know, still terrific, like master's runner, but now is so much of his focus on coaching and writing books and developing, you know, coaching philosophies and, you know, using, uh, you know, what they, what he learned from like Joe V Hill and other great, uh, running coaches who've coached people from like Dina Castor on down to, you know, greatness. Um, but philosophy and style, that's what, that's what it's about. And, you know, whatever you're going to do as a runner, um, these are important decisions to make because, you know, look, you have no one to blame, but yourself. That's why I love my man Goggins so much. Like if you pick a coach that's in your style, who picked the coach, you pick the coach. Okay. So if you want somebody who's going to be, give you the tough love and actually say, Hey, let's do a postmortem. Like what happened in that race, man? My head wasn't in the right place. You know, I went out too hard. My fueling, I fucked it up. Like whatever it is, like you got to be able to own the shit that happened. We're all going to have bad days. We're all going to have days where we don't stay as strong as we want. Just like we're going to have days where we actually are a badass and we're like, we take whatever the hell the elements throw at us and we just, we get tougher. We just see people folding around us and we just say, not today, baby. I'm going to get the next person. I'm going to get the next person. And you just feel and think all the right things. So for you, you guys were a good fit and a good connection. Um, so you know what kind of coach you're going to want to work with, you know, as you move down the road here. Um, so let's talk about 
your like high school, college running and like when you go through a lot of your injuries, because like, you know, like when we get to where you're at now and some of the times you're running now, people are going to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And it's unbelievable. And it is, it's wonderful. But man, that's just, if you don't know the other part of your story, it's like, okay, yeah, she's came to running a little late and now she's running like 240 marathons and she's awesome. Like, no, 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 no. Chips were paid, dues were paid, injuries were suffered, mistakes were made, things happen. And there is a huge part of your story as is your recent success. So talk a little bit about some of those things and how they kind of came to be and, you know, how you made your way through them. Yeah, so- Absolutely had a lot of bumps in the road for the first, honestly, up until the last like two years of running. So back in high school, when I first started running, I probably around my sophomore year, I started getting this hip pain that just wouldn't go away. And the competitive nature in me was like, oh, it's just an injury. I need to run through it. Like that kind of mentality. Like don't <laughs> like if you actually let your body rest to be more of like a weakness or so it's like all right I have to run through it I have to run through it to the point that the one day I woke up I was like I can't walk <laughs> so we ended up going to um went to the doctor we had imaging and of course it was a femoral uh, shaft stress fracture which to me that was like at that age I'd heard of it I was like oh my goodness I'm never gonna run again so they put me on crutches and I was out for, I think, about 12 weeks. I was on crutches for eight and then out for 12. And how old are you on this one with your first one? I was, I think I was 15 years old. Okay. I mean, so at that age for for girls, particularly, there's so much going on developmentally. You know, there's hormone issues, there's vitamin issues, there's nutritional issues. And man, you're a kid you're a kid at this point. Yeah. I mean, in anything, I mean, look, kids are tearing their ACLs. Like every field hockey kid in the world, every soccer kid in the world has had multiple ACL injuries. That's a high school athlete. So I'm sure to your parents, it's like no big deal. You have an injury, like, okay, whatever. But you're like, okay, I'm never going to run again. That could not have been a good feeling, right? No, I, I cried in the, in the office because it was right before um, our outdoor state championships. And I was trying to hit a time to qualify for the uh, Nike Outdoor Nationals. I was like, well, that's definitely not going to happen now. And my coach actually, um, at the time, was a good voice of reason there. He was like, even if you tried to run right now, you're not going to run well. (laughs) Like he realized that I was like thinking about still trying to run, which was definitely not smart. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was the first one. Then... Then uh, the following year, in I think it was spring track again, my junior year, I had a similar thing happen that it was, it started feeling very similar to the previous year. I was like, no, this can't be it. This is supposed to be really rare. Um, And of course, lo and behold, it got worse. I started picking up on like the warning signs and I was like, oh yeah, it's starting to hurt upstairs, turning. And it was another stress fracture, same spot on the other side. So this kept happening. Um, over, I think I had I had about three femoral stress fractures in high school, and then three throughout college. Over the course of the of probably about eight years, I had six stress fractures in my femurs. Um, at the beginning in high school, 
I could definitely attribute it to I had no idea what I was doing training wise. Um, my body wasn't ready. I mean, I pretty much threw my body at this, like a hundred percent at this new, like newfound sport, new love that I had no idea was there. Um, but as it went into college, I got more into like, okay, now it's more of the nutrition part, like focusing on that and definitely went down a bad hole there, which I think led to a lot of those, that led to those three in college more so. Because in college, you take the jump in mileage, you take the jump in intensity. It's a totally new environment. Nobody's really like, it's the first time I was like responsible for, you know, like cooking my own, not cooking my own meals, but like actually making sure I was eating properly. Like normally, like, I don't know, we'd come home in high school and my, my mom and dad would have everything ready. We, all we had to do was eat. <laughs> so I never really had to think about stuff like that. And I think that definitely came and uh, bit me in the butt <laughs> during college. Um, but each one of those stress fractures ended up being a complete reset in training. It's a definite 12 weeks off for any bony injury. And then you're starting from scratch each time. So I would do my best in the time off. Like I'd take the, at least like four weeks of nothing, just let it heal and then try to get on the bike. I was fortunate to have access to a pool. Um, the PT place that I was going to had an underwater treadmill, which was great. So I was like anything I can do that's similar to running, that's going to help me get to these goals that I've set back at, honestly, back at the beginning of high school. Um, so each time I'd come back and it's a nice little reminder when you come back from running of why a lot of people don't like running. Um, like it's, it's hard when you first start up again, it's like the, like two miles feels like forever. So each time I'd work up back to fitness and then it felt like it was another crushing blow, another stress fracture comes. And then it's just this cycle of just trying to get back up there getting knocked down. Okay. Let's start over and get back there. So that takes a bit of a mental toll for sure throughout, like throughout high school and college. When I was done with college, um, I mean, college was okay for me. I didn't really set any new PRs except in, I think the 5k, but everything else, my PRs were from high school. Cause I just couldn't string together a series of consecutive training cycles. So after college, I took a little bit of time off. I went to PT school. I, well, I had one season of eligibility in PT school that I used up there. Fortunately, didn't get injured. But um, after that, I was like, I'm just going to run for fun. I'm just going to back off a little bit, enjoy it, do little like small town 5Ks if I feel like it. We'll see. And then I got my one of my friends convinced me to do a marathon. I was like, oof. That, that did not go well. <laughs> um, so then I was like, I kind of want to get better at this distance because I had a little taste of it. Of like that hurts so bad, but I think I can get better at it. So I tried to train myself for uh, the Boston Marathon in 2019. Um, and I did all this research. I read the Jack Daniels book cover to cover. I had like all these spreadsheets of my training. Um, I asked my high school coach for some assistance and like, figuring out how to do the build, how to like do periodization and how to do a taper. Um, and there were definitely some flaws in there that I was like, I 
I was like, I need to improve here. So then I finally ended up hiring my first coach and then worked up toward there. Um, so then back in 2019, when I started working with uh, my first coach, it was a big, big jump in intensity and volume at the same time. And sure enough, another stress fracture came up this time in my fibula, which was very shocking to me. Um, as the PT, I know that <laughs> that bone's non-weight bearing. So I was like, what? There's no way. But sure enough, when I looked at the x-ray alone, it, you could see that it was almost a straight line through the bone. So I was like, oh no, here we go again, starting over. Um, so took the 12 weeks, 12 to 14 weeks. I was fortunate to be working at Custom Performance in New York City, uh, who works with all pretty much all runners. And they had all the equipment, best PTs that I could be with. And I just got PT at work. Um, so I started to build back up again. And since then, I've finally been able to string together two and a half years now of consistent running, no injuries, knock on wood. Um, and it's the first time after that first training cycle back from that stress fracture was, I realized it was the first time I ever made it to a planned scheduled break and running, which was a super weird feeling because normally like that recovery time has this like negative connotation to me, but I was like, wait, I can physically still run. I'm actually just being smart <laughs> and taking this time off now. Okay. So we got a lot to dig into there. <laughs> Um, that's one hell of a roller coaster ride too. Um, I felt myself going up and down through through all of those um, segments. But um, one thing I I wish could happen or would happen. Um, I Inside Tracker doesn't sponsor my show, um, but I'm very involved with them. I have a 25% code off for my podcast and my Instagram page, and um, I use it personally for my own running. And I anything that I personally promote, I promote because I believe in it and I know it works. And you know when. You know, when Shalane ran the six marathons and, you know, like six weeks and technically it was like less than six weeks because, you know, two were two were within one day of each other. Um, Inside Tracker was there every step of the way. And they were looking at every possible, you know, you know, biomarker and every single thing that she would be worried about in terms of, you know, her cortisol raising and levels nutritionally. And obviously she's written cookbooks with her friend and um, they know a ton about nutrition already, but still our bodies are remarkable, but when you can see this stuff and actually see what's going on on the inside, um, I had, um, Stevie Rayon, who was great. She, um, she was part of Shalane's team and she talked about, um, using it to play offense versus defense, which I just love. I mean, I love any sports analogy anyway, but it's true. If you're going to get into a big block and you're going to increase your mileage, you're going to do something that's way harder and go out of your own range or comfort zone. You can't just be like, okay, I know I can do this. Of course, you're of the right mindset to do it. You're tough as hell. I can already know that. You can't come back from that many injuries and just snap back without being tough and resilient. You just, you can't do it. I mean, you have to be. And each one of them made you stronger, by the way. So you may not realize that when it was going on, but they made you stronger because most people would have quit after the second one or the third one or the fourth one. Just said, this isn't for me. Um, but you're still out there and now you're having some huge success. So um, I wish schools, colleges specifically running schools, would have 
that kind of testing available for their athletes because a you mentioned so many important things no our mom and dad aren't going to come and cook for us when we're away at school um, which would be super nice and clean up our rooms but none of that shit's happening as we know um, and when we even go back to our rooms for god knows how long we're somebody else's room or for me playing baseball and traveling and being on the road for weeks and coming back and going what classes did i miss again and you know like there's just too much happening at school very few of us are you know, and the ones who are able to really be an amazing athlete and also crush their academics, I just have such respect for because it it's just, it's incredibly hard to do it. And we want to live, we want to have a social life, we want to have fun. Why wouldn't we want to do that at that age? If you don't want to do those things at that age, man, I'm, man, I don't know if I can hang out with you. <laughs> um, so like you have all these things going on and you're living on dining room food and junk food and, you know, eating out and who knows what you're eating and what you're not eating. But I just wish, and I'm going to talk to my friends and as I track, but I'm going to figure out if there's some way that they could get themselves onto the campuses and maybe offer some sort of reduced pricing for college running teams and just you know, figure out some way, a sponsorship model, some way to make it way more affordable for them so that young girls and young boys that are tough and aggressive and want to be competitive like you, you know, that they're having this stuff looked at, you know, before indoor season starts, before outdoor season starts to look at warning markers and say, oh, oh, oh my God, your iron level is like ridiculously low right now, like crazy low crash, crash warning, something bad's about to happen or your vitamin D is dangerously low. Okay. Bones are going to snap you know, stress fractures are around the corner or other, other things. I mean, I have celiac, so I've got other things I have to worry about because you know, with celiacs, we can't eat wheat, barley, and rye, which is in virtually every single thing on the planet. So you find the things that don't have that in there, we still can't absorb things properly. So our bodies absorb nutritional stuff differently than yours or somebody else's. So I just wish that, so that's one thing I'm going to think about that as an action item myself. I because completely, completely agree with you. And I would, I would vouch for that too. I mean, the one time after, I think it was between the fifth and sixth stress fracture, I went for blood work. Like obviously I had, I mean, I've already had, I think three DEXA scans and or bone density scans, so much blood work, but the one I remember it being like a huge, like wake up call, like I need to fix something. Um, they did blood work finally. And they looked at my hormone levels and they were like, you're coming up as postmenopausal and you are 19 years old, 20 years old. So I was like, man, something really needs to change. And now I think if like something like inside tracker were there, like if teams had access to that kind of thing, that would be amazing. Or even just regular, like routine blood work. I, I love it. It's an action item for me. And I'll, I'll connect you with my, uh, my friends over there anyway, um, just cause you're going to be doing some really big things with your own running, but it's just, it's something that everyone needs to be paying attention to. I talk about it in the show all the time, because again, I'm, you know, I don't get compensated. They're not, you know, reimbursing me. I don't get, you know, X versus downloads. You know, they don't sponsor the show because I just choose to do my show this way. I don't want to have to do sponsor reads. Maybe at some point I will. Um, but then again, when I do talk about a product or I do talk about a service like that, you know damn well it is 100% from the heart and I use it myself. So in that case, you know, for younger athletes particular, or go the other end, which is me at 61, the master's athletes who are still trying to run track or run a lot of marathons, or in my case, marathons and ultra marathons, I'm still doing both. Um, we need to know what's going on on the inside. And I love what she said, playing offense versus defense. So as you 
get healthy and now you're really making gains and your running's coming together and you're running for a really good club, now's the time more than ever that you have to know how that other stuff is coming together. Just because you feel good and your running is clicking and you don't have any pain <laughs> in your femur or hips or other areas where you've had it before, you're a, you're a DPT, you're a physical therapist. You know how many runners were coming on the table, you know, at cust NYC Custom PT. You know how many you saw. Some of the best and fastest and brightest athletes in all of New York City are coming in there and getting worked on with great equipment just to be able to do what we love. So that's the fine balance, right? So it's the nutritional piece. So we know what's going on. What do we need to eat more of? Do we need to change our diet? Do we want to experiment with eating clean, cleaner, or maybe going vegan? Like whatever the hell we need to experiment with, also including nutritional supplementation, like that's what Inside Tracker gives you. Because not only is it telling you like you need more zinc, it's like saying, hey, you need to eat this number of servings of spinach, or you need to have this many more legumes, or you need this much more supplementation, X, Y, Z. It's giving it to you in a bunch of different ways. So that's one piece, which I think is like really, really important. Um, and I'm just impressed as hell that you just, you know, you bounce back. Um, that's, that's tough, man. I love that. That's Irish tough, feisty. We don't mess with us. Like you were battlers, man. So I'm proud of you for, was, for con <laughs> you continue to get up off the deck, but, um, so that's a big piece of it. And then, you know, like coming out of college and now you actually get to the other side of this thing, you know, where, you know, you didn't really realize any of this nutritional stuff. I mean, you didn't know that you're hormonally were way out of balance. You know, if you had access to something like that, you would have known and maybe could have prevented multiple occurrences of those things. Okay. We can't go back in time. We don't have the TiVo button. It'd be pretty sweet if we did like, er, let's go back. No stress fracture one. Okay. Here, we'll start here. All right. I'll start taking inside tracker, except inside tracker wasn't even formed as a company then. So, um, but anyway, you get the idea. So we have the big nutritional piece, right? That's one piece of this pie. Um, the second piece is how you're training, right? So have you examined that piece? I mean, yes, you go to college, you, you hit all of the things that you said. Mileage is bumped. Paces are bumped. Like, was it too hard all the time and not any real recovery running? Was it just not enough sleep too? Like, all of these things are going to lead to those same places. Like, how much of it do you think was the training load and just the whole other environmental thing? Or do you think it was more like nutritional and stuff that was causing this stuff, you know, for you on the back end? So in, in college, I'd say a lot of it was what I could attribute to, um, poor nutrition. Um, but there's all, there's that huge part of, I mean, I wasn't sleeping like that, that much. I was not a priority as a college student. I think someone told me in my freshman year, it was like, you have to, you have, you have to pick two of three things. It's like social life, academic life or sleep or something like that. I was like, okay, well, I don't need to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely, I was not sleeping enough, which obviously that's the most important thing in your recovery for training. Like that should be equally as important as the miles you put in. Um, so in college, I would say it was both a combination of nutrition and not sleeping enough, which is a recipe for disaster in itself. Um, now after, I mean, I learned a lot through all the injuries, like each one, I wanted to know why it happened. I wanted to know how can I prevent this from happening? Like I, I started learning a lot about 
like anatomy and the body around them, like just little things that I'd read here and there and the time that I would have been spent running, reading more about this stuff. So through that, through uh, physical therapy school, I ended up learning a lot, a lot more um, and became very in tune with my body. So now I'm very good at knowing if something feels off. I, it's almost like I did a complete 180 from my high school days. Like, whereas in high school, I would feel something coming on. I'd be like, I'm running through this. If I can't run through it, I'm going to take an ibuprofen and see if I can still run through it until I literally can't walk. Whereas now it's more of like, I'll turn around to my coach and be like, I think this is too much for today, or I'm feeling off. I'm going to take an extra day off. I'm going to cut this front in half, which it takes a lot for me to say, like if I'm going to cut a run in half, skip a run or take an interval off a workout and not have that little bit of like, I don't know, that competitive nature, like not taking away from that. Um, but I think now I'm a lot more in tune with how my body feels, paying attention to the quote unquote little things, which I think are all add up to be bigger than the actual runs that you put in and the work you put in. Um, so like the foam rolling, the strength training, making sure I eat within 30 minutes or I get some sort of protein in me within 30 minutes of each run, um, have a big meal after a big workout. Um, more like following more of the philosophy of like, you are what you eat. So eat healthy, give your body what it needs. Right. Um, let's see. I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. Um, well, though you're, you're just talking about changes, you know, that you, you've made changes you've made changes you're aware of, you know, more sleep, better nutrition, you know, taking more days off or cutting, you know, less reps, you know, like making real life changes to where you were. And also like all these learnings about anatomy in the body led you to your career, your injuries, and in effect, sent you on a mission to learn more. And it's kind of ironic in a way because it ends up being, you know, your career now. Um, and you're not just helping runners. I mean, clearly at, you know, in New York City at Custom PT, that's all you really worked on. I'm sure they have some triathletes rolling in there occasionally, but for the most part, it's it's a running population of like 95% and maybe a five or 10% swing of some some triathletes in the area. But for, maybe it's, you know, it's probably like 95.5. Um, you really don't get anybody else in there. It's, it's truly a practice centered around that. But now you'll be working with patients with all sorts of, you know, issues, but your knowledge of anatomy, you know, learning more about nutrition, learning more about how to listen to your body, quote unquote, um, you know, these are all good steps um, because, you know, it can't be the only break you get is when you actually have a break, pun intended. Um, yeah, <laughs> you for the first time, you know, uh, what you said earlier is like the only time you ever actually took a break was, you know, come from coming off a healthy cycle. So this is what we need to repeat for you, Megan. This is yeah. the goal that, you know, we it's need this to happen sleep. again. And yes, yeah, sleeping is a good thing. Although don't do as I say, don't do as I do. I don't follow any of these rules myself. I'm like the worst person. So like I'm, I'm Dracula, man. I don't sleep. Um, and I go yeah, out and run to like midnight. Yeah. Well, you know, look, you got time, you got time, man. You know, like even if you just get the nutrition piece dialed in and you're getting protein, as you said, and you're addressing that and you're just taking 
better care of your body. Um, you know, like in terms of how you're responding to mileage and workouts, all of those are like super positive steps and getting you on, getting you on the right path. So, um, you said you committed to run a marathon. You really weren't into it. So what was the first, what was the first marathon experience? Like, give us, give us the deal. It was was horrible. (laughs) So I had no idea what I was doing. My training was like, I'm just going to keep, I didn't even look into training. I didn't research anything. I was like, I'll just do a few longer runs and we'll go with that. Um, it was Philadelphia marathon in 2017. Um, I got injured like a month out, but I was like, (laughs) I was like, I told too many people that I'm doing this. Like I told all my patients that I was doing this, my family. I was like, I have to do this. So (laughs) This was probably the last time I did something really, really stupid with running. I should not have run this race, but <laughs> so I packed, I packed, um, all my gels. I put a little like thing of like, uh, ibuprofen in a bag, just in case. Like I have to, if I start this, I have to finish. I've never DNF'd a race. I was like, I'm, this isn't going to be the first one. So <laughs> we get to mile 15. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'm holding, I think like, I think it was on 715 or something. I was like, this is going really well. This is awesome. Like I'm crushing this. And something happened between 15 to 17. I think I realized that I still had over 10 miles to go. And then the fact that I had only done up to like, I did like one 18 mile run and then the rest were like 15, 16, no workouts, nothing. I hit the (laughs) biggest wall. Oh my goodness. And when we got to the turnaround, so that course you go, you do you do like a loop in the city and then you go out toward Maniunk and then back. And I remember getting to the turnaround in Maniunk and it's a hard turn. You basically go around a cone, like you go around some cones and then you head right back. I don't remember that much of the end of that race. I walked a lot of times. My one friend jumped in to try to pace me for like eight, I think the eight miles of that stretch. And he said he looked back and I guess I, t- I tried to take the ibuprofen and see if that would help. And I just, it was like, it was everywhere. Like I had spit it. It was, it was a disaster. I finished. I somehow, I think, cause I went out so hard. I banked a lot of time. I somehow qualified for Boston. And I think that's why I was like, okay, I need, I'm obviously doing another one. It's Boston. I have to do it. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a, it was a rough three and a half hours for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I ran for another two months after that. <laughs> that that's the way a first marathon oh. experience. I feel like the ones that really stick with us the most that we need to learn, and we learn by pain, we learn by suffering, but we, well, we learn by mistakes and trauma. No, we do. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, sure, would it be great if we went out and you know ran at Olympic trials qualifying time in our first marathon? Yeah, but that's not the real world. It doesn't work like that. Sure, one in a million people's story is like that. Most of us don't train properly, don't prepare properly, don't practice our fueling, don't do this, don't do that. Or do those things and then get into the race and forget everything we did and make all the mistakes and end up in pain, suffering, not getting the ibuprofen down and getting all over us. And luckily for you, Philly is one of those cool races where, yeah, people can jump in and run with you. It's not, you know, like Boston or New York where there's like a billion people and it's like madness and it would be a sea of humanity and just a tough thing. In New York, I've had people run a few blocks with me and, you know, 
you know, give me a bottle, give me a Morton bottle or something and run with me for a few blocks, you know, up on First Avenue, you know, above the 90s, you know, like around 100th or 110th. But for the most part, most races, it's hard to do that unless it's a small race. So your first one. So do you remember what your time was for your first one? Because we got, we got to get the chronology here. We got to dial it in. I believe it was a 323. 323. And you, and you qualify for Boston despite all of that insanity. Um, like that's remarkable, like walking, all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, you know, we get what we train for. I say it all the time. What does the race demand? That is not just for marathons, people. Uh, if you're going to run a hundred mile ultra, like my last guest and run it in 14 hours and four minutes, which is 826 pace per mile. That's completely insane. 100 miles, the race finished, it was 92, 93 degrees at points. Like, like ultra runners just blow my mind, but so do the crazy fast milers and steeplechasers and everybody. I mean, our sport, it's just, it's, it's one mind blowing experience of just how incredible people can be. But with all that going on, you still run a BQ in your first race, which is like one in a million. So not being, yeah, I mean, not being prepared properly, all the other stuff aside, you ran a BQ in your first race. It's completely insane, but you know that you suffered way more than you wanted to. So what was your, what was your takeaways that you employed from that race to like get on the path you're on now? Like what were your takeaways and action steps that you put to work after that? So I knew right away that I needed to do some longer long runs. For sure, because that 20 mile mark, honestly, after 18 mile mark was totally new territory. I've never been there and I was going into it injured. Like, this is horrible. So I was like, get healthy. Let's let's work on getting some longer, long runs. And you have a lot of time for Boston. I had qualified for 2019 and the, the Philly Marathon was in 2017. So I was like, I have a lot of time. I'm just going to build. And then... Um, so I wanted to work on that. I wanted to work on actually pacing. So figuring out what my goal time would be and trying to practice at that pace. So my body could learn what that feels like. I wouldn't have to think about it. Um, and then my one friend, uh, Karen convinced me to sign up for a marathon that spring at, um, the Jersey shore one. Um, and it was like, I think I had like two months or something to prepare. I was like, all right, fine. It'll just do it for fun. It'll be practice for Boston. And I worked on getting like the long runs up longer and trying to turn them more into like progression runs instead of just all easy runs. So that I think helped a lot. And I ended up dropping to 311 at the next one, which was, which I was pretty happy about. And I'd never hit the wall in that one, which made it so much more enjoyable. (laughs) Nice. So you, you put some real action steps in place, some very solid action steps that oh, will pay off for anybody who's listening. Um, and again, just because Megan can rock a BQ in her first one, even with walking and pain and suffering, and then come back and run a 311 in her second one, the time is irrelevant. I don't care if you're a five-hour marathon or a seven-hour marathon, or I don't care if you walk the whole thing. I don't care what you do. You can still improve by looking at where things went wrong, where things went right, Okay, it's not just where it went wrong. Where did things go right? You made it to 15 slash 18. Feel, no, 15, you were feeling good. It was when you got to 18, it was unknown territory. And that's not a shock because look, this is what happens. Our minds are so much more 
in control of what's going to happen to us the longer the race goes. A half marathon, you can pretty much win that mental battle because it's 13 miles. You start going to 26 miles and further, you're not winning those mental battles unless you have prepared for the voices that are coming, for the conversations that are going to have to be had. For It's not about just pain. It's just like, this is what's going to happen and preparing for it. So you hit on a bunch of things that I drill people all the time. I'm not coaching anymore, but I share advice all the time on the show. If you don't practice marathon pace, why on earth do you think you're going to go out and just magically be able to run it come race day? If you don't practice it, hear it for the people in the back, practice marathon pace. You can practice it in the first five miles of your long run and come back to it later and run faster at the end. Like, you know, we're talking about right now because that's a good progression run, right? You build and you finish the run faster. Um, you could just do a long run time on your feet, but every certain number of long runs, you have got to work some pace in and you can run faster than marathon pace in a long run. It just depends on what is the goal of the run. And they don't have to all be 20 miles or over. Some of these runs can be 17, 18 miles, but you're going to drill down and get to some much faster paces and you're going to practice you're fueling. Okay. You're going to practice. Are you, what gels are you taking? What drink are you going to have? And you know, can you get your boyfriend or your husband to ride alongside you on a bike and feed you bottles? You know, can you run them with garden state and maybe have a loop course where you guys are all out there together and you're running and you, again, you have, you throw a table up and you have bottles and you work on getting your fuel in, but this is how we improve. So what I love is you made some very specific changes to your plan, not just going longer, but actually putting faster paced miles in those longer runs. And you did not hit the wall. You ran faster. You ran a 311, which is a huge jump. You know, you, you chopped off a lot of time and, you know, you had success. So that had to make you feel great, right? Yeah, I was so happy after that. I was like, wow, I love a marathon. This is great. I, I negative split it. I was like, that was so much better than Philly. I can't wait for Boston. It was, yeah. and. I mean, it was a much different experience from the Philly one, like actually being prepared in a, in a way for it. <laughs> um, but going back to what you were saying before about the marathon pace work, one of the biggest things that I find helps me in the like the mental game too, is I go back to my training like now, like before um, my last two marathons, I go back to my training from the start of it to the end of it. And I count how many miles I've done at marathon pace or under. And I think this one leading up to CIM, I had done like 190 miles at marathon pace over the course of a 14 mile or 14 week period. And I was like, all right, my body knows what this feels like. Like, that's a good thing to have up here. Like, up, like knowing going into it confident, like your legs have seen 190 miles of marathon pace. Just do it. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm not sure anyone's ever brought that up before in one of these fun chats, but um, yeah, man, that's what the point is. So Strava and all these tools, they're amazing because instantly your Coros watch, your Garmin watch, your Polar watch syncs up and locks up and you can prove to the world that you just ran a 20 miler at 630 pace and all that's great. But you know what? That's what a log is a value. Um, so go old school, man. Writing that stuff down and tracking that as invaluable information. Now, that doesn't mean, Megan, that you start doing 380 miles at that pace and running all your all your uh, runs at marathon pace or faster because you got to have the recovery miles. And I know you know this already, um, but that's that's just a fantastic thing 
to track. And the more miles and the more comfortable that pace becomes, our body just gets more and more efficient at it. And the funny thing is, is that when we hit a rough patch in a race, and we all are going to, even Kipchoge's of the world, even the greatest marathoners in the world do, um, things are going to happen to us. I watched the live stream of Tokyo, the, the pacer who's leading their group made a fucking wrong turn in the Tokyo Marathon. I don't, no one knows this because the race hasn't been on TV. It was on live stream. The dude ran 202.40 and their pacer made a wrong turn. Now, can I tell you exactly what that was worth? 10, 15, 20 seconds. I mean, could you imagine running 202.40 or any time and then having the pacer took you on a wrong turn and then you guys had to reroute? So just think about, again, going back to his mindset, his mind is what is his most powerful tool in his arsenal. So you're so young, you're just starting to learn, you're so invested, you wanna learn what others are doing. That's the guy to study from because anybody else, he ran the Berlin Marathon one year, his sock liner came out in the back of his shoe and it was up to the top of his calf muscle. It was flapping in the wind for 24 miles. I mean, I just, I've seen this guy overcome things that like no one else would just, they just be either, you know, take their shoe off, put it back on. Then they'd be trying to run them down and be, th you know, three minutes behind and never make it up. So the mental part of the game is where so much is. So the fact that you're studying how you're training is great. That's fantastic because that's how we grow and that's how we build. And that's like one really key lesson that you learn to get yourself to 311 and improve. So now Boston is next in your order. Okay, and which year Boston are we talking about? 2019. 2019, oh yeah, I was there. <laughs> I ran all six majors that year, by the way, in order. Oh. So I ran Tokyo, wow. Boston, <laughs> London, Berlin, Chicago, New York. And they were all in the correct order that year. There was no COVID nonsense going on. So yeah, 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 I was there. Wow. So awesome. break, break it down for me. It was a pretty warm day. It was pretty humid. Um, it was a weird day. Yeah. I mean, it, it got rainy later, but not when you and I were finishing, but still like yeah. it was rainy in the morning on the way up there on the bus right up. But it was a weird temperature was weird. The humidity was a lot higher than people realized more so than the temperature. So, so what was that? This is, and this was your first Boston, right? Yes. So, so yeah, your first whole experience of being up there, man, and being part of marathon Monday, man, what was that like? <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, so like going to the buses, which I'm sure you probably remember too, it was raining sideways. It was so windy. I was like, there's no way this is like, I was like, all right, this is probably one of the worst case scenarios, but it's okay. It's fine. And then we get to the start and it clears up. It's sunny. And then of course, all the like water from the pavements coming up. I think that made it feel even more humid. It did. But so my bus driver on the way there took or missed the exit. Yes. A bunch of bus drivers got lost that year. Yeah. I, oh my goodness. I wonder, I wonder if we're on the same bus, <laughs> but I was with one of uh, my training partners. And of course, I mean, I'm freaking out a little bit. I get a little, I get very nervous before races and we get there, we missed our wave and we end up starting with the wave after I think I can wave three, I want to say, and we're in the back of wave three. So we're trying, we're wasting all this energy, pushing through people. We finally get to like a clear spot that we could actually like walk into a pace. And I think we were settled in at like 620 and we look at each other and we're like, oh no, <laughs> like we had no business running that pace at this point. And <laughs> so 
we're like, all right, we're at mile eight. Like, I think that's where people realize in Boston, you're, you probably went out a little too quick, but yeah. So we get to the halfway part. No, I wanted to break three in this race. That was my first, my goal was to get the first, my first sub three hour marathon there. And we go through right at one thirty. and the way we felt, we're like, this isn't happening. <laughs> this is not happening today. So, um, I, and we ended up running around a three thirteen, um, which is still, I mean, I was still happy with that time because it's much tougher course than the Jersey shore one. Um, I was a little disappointed because I had actually put in workouts and longer, long runs and, and all of that. So that left me wanting a little bit more. <laughs> oh man. Well, for, for first time, there's so much, so much in there. I mean, just walking around, your eyes are open like saucers and, you know, oh, seeing yeah. the town and just and seeing incredible. what sort of energy is there and, you know, going to the expo and walking around on Boylston street. I mean, it's, you know, if when you haven't been there and you dream of it and you're able to do it, it's just, it's really hard to put into words properly to what that feeling and what that energy is like. And, you know, when the gun goes off and you have an experience like that, that's unnecessary stress. But unfortunately this shit happens. It tends to happen more than people want to admit. And so, um, my last guest, Stephanie Flippin, she was amazing is that she, she's a coach herself, um, mostly for ultra runners because she's a great ultra runner and sponsored by Hoka. But what she talks about nonstop with her athletes is planning for disaster, planning disaster recovery, like planning for the worst. What's going to happen if they use drop bags in ultra. So when you get to 30 miles, you have a bag which has your snacks and food and maybe a change of shirts or clothes. What happens if your drop bag is in there? What are you going to do? Okay. Are you going to, you're going to then have to use the fuel that's on the course. So she has to practice with her stomach having, if it were Gatorade, let's say, and it's not Gatorade in ultras, by the way. Um, they use a lot of different fuels in, in the longer races than, than we would see on the marathon course, which is almost always Gatorade in New York or Boston. So She's like planning for things to go wrong and trying to teach her athletes that. So in your case, it's your first Boston. You're so hyped. The guy makes a wrong turn. You're not in your corral. Like if you were, maybe you would have been a lot less anxious. Maybe you wouldn't have gone out as hard. But the truth is no one, no matter how many warning signs, it's like the red stop sign, the red warning signs. Every coaching guide in the world tells you, do not go out too hard in Boston. The course is fast. It's rolling. It's rolling that downhill. Like don't get carried away. And everyone gets carried away anyway. So it doesn't matter. It's like, it's just like this birthright. You're going to do it the first time in Boston and you're going to come through the half and be like, oh my God, I'm four minutes <laughs> faster than I thought. Or the opposite, which is what you knew already. You knew at one thirty, which as fit as you were, that should not have felt hard. And you know that. No. You know as fit as you were. It should have been like, let's do this, man. We got it right in sight. And then the worst part for you is the first big hill is like after you take that huge drop into Lower Newton Falls, you have to come cross up that friggin' highway bridge, which everyone hates more than anything, which they don't even count it as a hill in the course, but it's a huge hill. It comes before the firehouse and the real Newton Hills. That's like everybody's that worst. 17? Uh, no, it's before 17. Yeah, maybe okay. around, it might be right around 17, 16, but it's when you cross over that giant ramp and the bridgeway. It's after you dump huge, huge downhill into Lower Newton Hill Falls, and then you kind of come up. And you cross the highway and the wind's blowing like 50 miles an hour. And then once you cross the highway, the hospital's over there on the right. And then there's a golf course on the left. And, you know, maybe you have about a half a mile to a mile till you get to the actual firehouse, which I always tell people, that's where the race starts. When you make that right <laughs> turn and you get ready to hit the Newton Hills, that's where the race starts. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, 
being that you hadn't run the hills before and all, I mean, come on, when you're strong and you run hills, it's like not that big of a deal. But being that you got beat up a little bit by the first half, it could not have been easy, you know, closing the back half, right? You know, for the first time going through the Newton Hills and all, was it, was it, was it a struggle? It was, it was a big struggle. So I remember getting to, so getting to the half point and feeling already like pretty beat. And I wanted to be like, okay, the ha- the second half's the hardest part, whatever. But anyway, so I remember getting very distinct. I remember going up a hill at mile like 17 or 18 and thinking, oh my God, this isn't even Heartbreak Hill. Oh my God, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> like I remember thinking that. And then we actually hit Heartbreak Hill and get like seeing that the light the traffic light at the top yeah like all right i just have to make it there and then it's all downhill but then making that turn like that left turn and then down at at cleveland at cleveland at cleveland circle yeah when you bomb when you reach the top of bc and then you you come down that steep hill to the left and the road kind of changes course there that's usually where you know you're you're finished when like i mean finish finish like i'm done like i i'm totally toast right yeah but I remember like starting going down my quads just were not having it. But at this point, like the, the I knew it wasn't going to be the race I wanted. So it was more of like, let's just take all this in. Cause at the end of the day, it's the Boston marathon. It's, it was an amazing experience. Like regardless of how much my legs were not in it, but like the entire course was lined with people, which I like the whole time I was thinking, I was like, this is amazing that so many people are coming out just to watch all these people run a marathon. That's so cool. Yeah. And plus what's so unique to Boston is that it's so narrow. I mean, look, you don't make a turn until the firehouse. So how insane is that? That's like 18 miles into the race or 18 and a half miles into the race. Like you literally are on the same road. Sure. It bends a little left and right, but it's the same road. You don't make a turn until, I mean, every other marathon on earth, we're making turns left and right and changing directions and the wind's changing. You're running the whole way. That's your first turn, man. And you literally don't make another one until you get near the finish. I mean, you know, then you have the two, you know, back to back you know, quick turns and then, you know, you're on Boylston and the party has truly begun and you get to cross the line. So, uh, so we were twins. I was 313 in 2019 also. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was very muggy day. I think the humidity got people a lot more than people think. Um, I think the humidity might've been like 87%. It was crazy high and you didn't, I didn't realize it till I checked the, the weather after the race. Um, and it was just, as you said, the rain was like kind of creating this steam and breathing was a little tricky. I mean, I don't, I don't have any issues with like, I don't bad allergy issues, but anybody, all of those things affect how we're breathing and how we're feeling. And I mean, look, Boston is the one thing about Boston is we never know what we're going to get. I ran in the monsoon in 2018. I mean, I've had friends who ran when it was over 90, like you just, you just don't know, you don't know what we're going to get, but hopefully this year. We're going to get really good weather. So that's, that's what we have to hope for. for a good year. Yeah. Yeah, we are. So, so that's your first Boston experience, which is still amazing because it's only two minutes off your then PR, you know, 311 was your PR 313. So it's not like you had a big miss or anything. So let's get to, you know, now you're starting to get fitter, starting to get stronger, or let's talk about your big breakthrough at CIM, unless you have another race you want to talk about. There was there was another marathon in, during the pandemic. Okay, uh, which was my first sub three. Um, so I was training with a group of people. Right? Let's just like I mean, running was like pretty much all we had like during the pandemic outside of like you know like regular life stuff. Um, 
so we continued training and pretended like there was going to be like a season. There was going to be a marathon, like almost expecting it to get canceled. And one of my uh, friends found this race in Chesapeake, Virginia, that was put on by a small local like run club. It was just two out and backs on this flat tow path. So we're like, all right, it's still on. Let's go. So we ended up going down there. And I that was the first time that I think I ran a 253 there. I had put in all like a ton of workouts, a ton of training, really got my mileage up. I think I hit around like 80 miles a week, like feeling good. And I PR'd through the half. I was like, wow, I still feel good. And then I ended up, I hit the wall on the way back, but it was nothing like the Philly wall. And I ended up running a 253, which was my first time sub three. And then I was like, Ooh, I want to go for the OTQ now. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I mean, cause you go, that's a huge drop because it was 311 to 253. That's a huge, huge drop. Um, and big increase in mileage. And thank God, which we can knock on wood or my table here. You know, you're healthy now. You're building, you're getting stronger, you know, and you're you're trending, you know, in the right direction. And, you know, that's a small, low-key race. And sometimes that is something people listen to the show should think about. Um, as somebody who goes to all these majors and races all the big majors because I love the energy and I love seeing my friends and I want to just talk to people who listen to my show and, and just like give them a hug and do a selfie and it's great. There's a lot to be said for running smaller local races and just have it be more low-key and be able to go to the bathroom before the race starts and not be freaking out about, oh my God, I got to go to the portage on or I'm going to miss my start. And right. I mean, so it just, it's got to be like so much more relaxed, right? Yeah. And because it was in the, I mean, it was uh, November, 2020. So we were still like very in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. So they, we all started with our masks and they started us, I think in groups of like 10. Um, But the entire race, I think everyone that ran it was completely by themselves. Like there was nobody really working like at the same pace. So it was a very, very lonely race, but it was almost like what you were used to at that point. Cause all the training has been like and in 2020 most of our training runs were unfortunately solo because of covid but we're like all right we know this let's just roll with it so in a way covid was prepping you to do well in a race like that anyway because we were all running alone i mean uh, i mean i don't mostly all of my friends and we're all super tight and I'm the guy who's always getting the group runs together. That's my thing. Okay, who wants to run? Who wants to run Tuesday morning? Who wants to run Tuesday night? I don't care. I want to do my second run or just get some easy miles and just goof off and take a couple of selfies. Like it just it wasn't happening. And and everyone for all the right reasons, just people weren't getting together. And my club team still was, but I just I couldn't and I just didn't. It wasn't any reason to. So I focused on doing a lot of charitable stuff. I did a lot of charitable running and raising money for healthcare workers. I ran for Tommy Ribs. I ran 60 miles on my 60th birthday. So I put my focus somewhere else and it was great. Um, but you were able to knock a huge thing down and get yourself into the sub three club. Okay. And at a small race with like no people, no cheering, no crowds, no juice to, you know, feed off of, or even other people to try to lock up with and work together. Cause we all know in those kind of races, that can be a big difference. So that's your entree into the sub three club. And then we make our way to CIM and CIM is where you have your big breakthrough. Now, which your CIM is this? Cause I might've been there too. Uh, 20, it was, uh, this past December, 2021. Okay. I wasn't, but I had 
um, lots of friends who were there. Um, and I've also, you are now, let's see, one, two, three, four. I've had five guests who've been on who all ran sub three, but you ran faster than all of them. So you you <laughs> win for the fastest fastest uh, CIM time. Although um, actually, no, 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 that wasn't the same year because I do have someone who qualified for Atlanta who is one of the coaches for O'Leary Racing Team and uh, Casey Kilareski. But that was in 2019, the year that she okay. um, got her Thank Olympic trials qualifier. Yeah, so, so let's talk CIM, man. Obviously, it's your first time time out there. Amazing, amazing course that no one knows how to put on a race for people trying to go for Olympic trials, qualifying standards, trying to hit BQ standards, great pacing groups, fabulous organization. They have their claim to famous. They have more toilets per runner than like any other race. So like yeah, these are true. things that make runners smile and make it happy. So, um, so talk about your experience, man. Like when you went out there, so you have a 253 PR at this point, like, I mean, what was your goal? Like, what was your plan? And like, talk about the race, man. How did it come together? So I want to start off by saying CIM was probably my favorite race. And I'm definitely, I'm going to do it again. Like, I don't know how many times, but I'm going to do it again. Um, but so my goal for CIM was to get the Olympic trials time, which it was, nobody had really said anything about the trials qualifying time at all. Like normally I think they announce it in September. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go for it in CIM. That's going to be the goal. I want it. And then, of course, they announced it like the day before that it was, wasn't was going to open until January 1st. And they were lowering it to the 237. So I was like, all right, I'm still going to shoot for the 245. I'm still going to see how, if I can get below that or how far I can get below it. Um, so I went into it with that goal. I, I mean, I have like A through G goals, but my top three were... <laughs> All, well, suddenly it was the 237 was the A goal because if it was if it was perfect and everything fell into place, maybe that could have happened. But that was the A, the shoot goal. Um, and then it was 240, 45, 250 PR. Like, all right, I want any of those or all of them. So the race was so smooth. Like the way, like getting to the start, like we got there, you had plenty of time plenty of bathrooms, which is like a huge bonus for runners. Um, did a little shake out. And then the course is just amazing too. Like I have been warned by so many people that yes, it's a downhill course or it's a net downhill, but don't be fooled because there's, it's rolling hills the whole time until you get to like, I think the last 10 K. So I was expecting hills. I was in my head in vis like visioning like a Boston type. Like I was like, I'm preparing for that. Like I could really mess myself up at the beginning if I go out too hard. So I remember thinking for the first like nine miles, hold back, just hold back, hold back, hold back. You have a lot of time. Now's the place to like, just enjoy it, take it in and then go to work after that. And then I think it's mile 10, 11, and it's just a gradual, it's like an uphill and then it's a mile and a half of just down. I remember like, that's when I want to start kind of rolling and just falling into a rhythm. And I remember like starting to like looking at my watch and like seeing splits and like, okay, maybe I need to back off a little bit. But I, I was like, oh, I don't want to doubt it. Like we're half, we're like halfway through the race. Let's just see what can happen. And just thinking each mile, like, um, I definitely slowed down that mile and then it would click off and be like, oh, wow, exact same thing. Cool. And then that would just keep happening. And then at mile, I think it's around like mile 18 they set up this whole, um, they call it the breakthrough zone. When you start 
going downhill. It's just that gradual flat to downhill. And it's this big like blob thing that they have on the course. And it just says breakthrough stone. I was like, oh my God, we're here. We made it. So I was like, all right, let's just try to roll. I know there's one more hill, 21. There's like a like a baby bridge. That Nothing bridge. Yeah. Um, but it, it was so short. I was like, all right, back off there and then just roll with it. I remember thinking, getting closer to Sacramento and starting to realize like, this looks familiar. This looks really familiar. Like I just got this burst of energy. It was so, it was like, almost like a surreal feeling. Like I couldn't really feel my legs, but I was picking up pace. Um, it was really funny. like side note. So in college, we used to play this game, like in the fall, you try to catch leaves. And if you catch them, it's like good luck for the next race. And one literally fell into my hand during the race. I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) this is great. So I just started rolling from there. And then at mile, like 25 and a half, I looked up and I just saw my whole family there. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like I just got this like other burst of energy. I like gave him like a, like a fist bump. I like yelled. And then I think I ended up finishing like, like well under six minute pace in the last mile. And it was just like, I've never finished a race and just been smiling for the whole last mile, especially a marathon. Like I probably looked like <laughs> some, like I probably looked crazy. I was just smiling the whole last mile of a marathon. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> but it was, it was an amazing experience. Like I finished and I was almost in tears of how happy I was with how it went. Amazing. So amazing. I think I saw the video. Um, cause it was before you made the turn, you know, when you're coming home where your family was, right. I think that was like the yeah. last, uh, slide of your Instagram post. So, um, yeah. that's a great spot. I mean, look, I also love the women's men's finish. I love how they have that separated. I think it creates great energy. Um, again, for all the women or the men that are trying to hit a standard like that, an OTQ standard or whatever, if you're there trying to run a BQ, they have like the highest BQ percentage uh, by age group of like any race around. And it's just, you know, I love the description. I love the energy um, of how you described it. What do you remember what you went through the half in? I went through at 123 something or I think it was 123 high. I know I was like almost perfectly even through the half. Yeah. And you, and you were, you was 246 or yeah. So, 246, yeah. So, I mean, you were literally within one minute of what the old standard was, which is amazing. Um, and you ran 253 to 246. So you, you chopped seven full minutes off of what your PR was to that point, which is a huge, huge amount to chop off. And that's awesome. And, you know, I think everyone knew the standard was going to get lowered. The question was how much and, you know, and, and, and honestly, I hope you're not going to look at that as a deterrent. I hope you're going to look at that as a challenge. Good. I, I just needed to know for sure, because, you know, like, man, you look at how much you've done already and you're just getting going. I mean, you just started to put healthy years of running together, figuring out your training, figuring out your nutrition, how to get stronger. Um, you know, when you add strength training and other things in there and you just keep working, now you're going to run with a really top team. You're going to have access to run with other athletes that are going to have similar goals. You're going to be able to do long runs and work together, you know, use the faster men, um, on teams. That's what Roberta Groner does. I mean, she's got so many fast, you know, male runners that she does these crazy long runs with. And I mean, I wish I was back to my old days when I could run my two forties and (laughs) ran a ton of them because I'd love to be able to help people out and run that fast. But, um, 
you know, that's just what you have to do. You just have to use like every available resource that's there to you, whether they're teammates from Garden State or other clubs and, you know, just use like the network that exists between Instagram and Strava and other people to find out like who has similar goals, who's shooting for similar things and work together because that's one thing that we've seen with women's running that's really stood out is, I mean, look at Kira D'Amato. It's like insanity. I mean, she's like goes and smashes um, you know, Dina's record, which stood for a really long time for one reason, because it was an insanely tough mark to beat. Um, and just now you just see people just continuing to run um, faster and faster times. So when you were out there, you know, it sounds like the experience was amazing. Were you working with anybody in any kind of groups? Did you team up with anybody along the way where you just happened to be running the same pace? Were you following anybody who were just out there on your own doing your own thing? So I had a very solid group that I was working with through mile 12. And then we had already talked about planning for disasters. And I was like, I started to realize I was like, I'm going to have to stop for a bathroom. So I ended up losing that. I had a whole, I had a whole plan out. I was like, it's at some point in my marathon life, this will happen. So I moved all my gels. I had a whole plan. I moved all my gels up to my sports bra. I ended up, I think I lost like, I timed it. It was like 15 seconds, like good, but I lost my group. But I was fortunate that I ended up finding an old running buddy that I was training that I had I had trained with um, years before, and she ended up moving out to Colorado. And I saw her, and I was like, I know her goal is very similar. So I ended up like just joining into their little pack and pulling me along, which worked out perfectly. I'm so glad I saw her because I mean, mentally losing your group that that early in the race at mile twelve. And then, I mean, you're already 12 miles in, you're, you're feeling a little, a little tired at least. Um, but trying, finding another group really worked out so well for me in that time. So bathroom pit stops will happen. Um, and yeah. thankfully we're not, we can't say shit happens because no one could <laughs> do that in 15 seconds. And if he did, then I'm so impressed. No. Um, so, uh, you know, and gel replacement, I mean, women have a big edge there, man, with the jog bra scene, man. Uh, you know, like I've had some of my fast female friends just say, just put one on underneath her singlet. I'm like, nah, I'm not, I can't go there. I just can't go there, but it is great for storage, but this is totally crazy. So there's no way I know this is going to come up. I already know the answer. So your friend from Colorado, is it Ayn? Did did you end up running with Ayn? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Because she was on my show, Ayn Bowie. Um, she's also a DPT. She's also a doctor of physical therapy. And she ran for Central Park Track Club. And um, she moved to Colorado. And now she's on the Bay Area. So she... Um, you know, she wouldn't have not have been the same pace, but, you know, depending on when you guys started, you could have cr crossed paths and, you know, she ended up running, you know, probably 10 minutes slower than you or something. But still, I mean, the odds you said she's from Colorado, I'm like, oh, this would be totally yeah. crazy. <laughs> like if somehow you ended up running with her, it would just be like only on my podcast could like people, <laughs> I didn't even know this happened, but yeah, that would just be a great war story. But um, yeah, awesome. So you, you just, you know, you lost someone, you grabbed onto somebody else. That's what yeah. it's all about. You get yourself relocked into the pace and, you know, you made an adjustment, man. That's what happens. Shit's going to happen out there. Things are going to happen and you got to, you got to just roll with it. And that course is great. It's a great place to go back to. And, you know, we have a million places you can train here. Like you can hit Central Park all day long to prepare for CIM because you can just run. I mean, I like to run a lot of Harlem loops to prepare for Boston because, you know, and people say to me, you ran 14 miles of Harlem Hills. I'm like, yeah, I did. I just kept running. It's a 1.4 mile loop. I just kept running around. And they're like, 
Like, that's crazy. I go, no, it isn't crazy. It's literally almost exactly like Boston. You bomb down big hills and you bomb up big hills. Like, if you can continue to beat your quads up like that and then still be able to accelerate, you know, like when you're 14 miles into a run or 16 miles into a run, that's great simulation for like Boston. So CIM is an easier course to me. It's a faster course. Um, and I think Boston is just the variety that Boston throws at you plus throwing into the weather. CIM is traditionally phenomenal weather. I don't know a bad year that Sam's ever had with weather. I don't know of one. Whereas Boston, like I said, it can be 80 or 90, 40 mile an hour winds, monsoons. I mean, 87% humidity. Like one of these years, we're going to get that magical year. Like they had the crazy tailwind the whole way versus, you know, the wind and of 30 miles an hour in the monsoon from 2018. But um, that's like so exciting that you have like turned this massive corner and you have things hugely on the uptick and, you know, running that time, like what kind of led you to Garden State? Did you do like a deep search? Were you already thinking of joining up with them? Because I was pretty sure that you would kind of join them after, right? After you had your run at Sam, it wasn't before, right? Yeah. Um, so I actually just joined them over the last month officially. Um, I have a lot of friends on the team that I ended up meeting up with them for a lot of long runs and like a lot of workouts like during the week or just regular runs. And I had been thinking about it for a while because they do have a a lot of people to run with varying, like what we were talking about before, of just various um, abilities just to like pull you along to more. Um, so then after CIM, I was like, I really, I want to get to this 237. I'm going to do whatever I can to get to this 237, see if I can do it. I have about two years now still. Um, and they have a few girls on the team that have that qualified um, for the 2020 uh, trials. And I think one girl has already run a 240. Um, she just ran like a very fast 50K. So she's working toward it too. Um, but having those kinds of people to pull me along and having that team behind that are also has like a great coaching team, a great squad. Um I was like, all right, this is starting to become a no-brainer. And then I uh, found out that I'm going to be moving to Central Jersey. And I was like, all right, everything's adding up to point me to the direction of Garden State. So I'm going with that. <laughs> Good. I like it. Um, you need workout partners. You need people to spend those longer, faster miles with. And also, you got to develop your speed across the other distances, which I know you're already doing. So um, that's going to pay itself, pay dividends in the marathon. Because as you said, running all those marathon miles is great, but being able to get more of a spread between your half and your 10 mile pace and, you know, 10 K and 5 K on down me personally, I always hated the 5 K. And I know you said you have a sub 17 minute 5 K. It took me forever to break 17 minutes in the 5 K, but you know, I had a sub 240 marathon. I had a 114 half, but I, I just hated the 5 K like passionate hatred. But you asked me to run a hard 10 miler or a half, like, come on, let's go or marathons. But so you got to figure out where you're going to get the maximum gain. But to me, I think you got a great approach going now, you know, working in a lot of marathon pace miles and faster in those longer runs, time on your feet and just building conservatively, you know, you don't want to all of a sudden start trying to run 140 miles a week because we want it. We want you to be healthy, kid. We want you to be healthy. And, you know, if you, if you stay healthy, you're going to keep getting faster and you're going to get stronger. So that's super cool. Um, so um, 
one of the things I always uh, talk to runners about, um, particularly before we end any episode, is community service. Like, what's something that's important to you with community service? It can be any time. It doesn't have to be about running, but just something that, you know, has some meaning to you and why you got involved with it and, and what that was about. So, well, couple of things. So when I ran um, Boston Marathon, I used that as a, a fundraiser for um, a charity that's pretty close to my family. Um, uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob's disease, CJD. Um, it's not very well known. Um, it's a prion disease that basically one protein misfolds in your brain and it leads to a series of misfoldings. And then um, within like four months of your first symptom, it's it's essentially a fatal disease. Um, so I, and I raised money for that charity. I got like a, a few thousand dollars and was able to put it toward research and just awareness of the disease, uh, which was a pretty good feeling. Another great outcome from uh, the Boston Marathon for sure. Um, another way that um, I'm, I'm trying to give back to the running community um, as a PT, as um, a coach and just like experience in the sport, I started coaching uh, more recently um, I started off just doing it like, and I still kind of do it like for free. I write plans for people that just want to get better, but can't really say afford like the cost of a, of a coach, like the monthly cost can be a lot. And I thoroughly enjoy making workouts. <laughs> so I've been trying to help people reach their potential. Like my one, my one friend, she got into running when she was, in her upper thirties and she had never done a workout before. And I was like, let me help you. Let me just write some workouts for you. And she ended up just running a 320 at Austin, which was great. And she was so excited, but being able to like give back in that way to the sport that helped shape me is, is a great feeling too. I love it. That's fantastic. Um, and charity, charity running will always be big and finding something that's affected somebody in our family is always a way to have a deeper connection with it and feel like we can have more of an impact. But I really, really love the, the pro bono coaching stuff. And, and that is just a huge thing. Um, everybody can figure out a way to do something for other people or a group of people. Um, and you will always feel a hundred times better about yourself when you do. Um, so your friend running a really fast time and getting a BQ, I mean, there's nothing like that. Um, and I think that any of the runners who come on my show that are running and really doing well, they would all be terrific coaches. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't charge people down the road. You can, I mean, um, and maybe even doing some clinics at, um, at school, at the high school or at the college level, because look, you, you have been through so many of these injuries. I mean, me personally, I would want to hear you talk about that in front of a group of younger collegiate students and talk about injuries and how these things held you back and how you thought you were just going to be tougher and run through this stuff. And you really didn't understand at that point and didn't know anything about nutrition or how much sleep mattered <laughs> or any of these things. Okay. And now to look at where your running has come from and how much you had to overcome to get healthy and get strong. And now to be laying down the times that you're running now and have like Olympic trials qualifying standard there on the horizon for you to shoot for as a big goal, you know, that's a compelling story. So you should think about that, you know, and you have connections. So your old high school coach is a college running coach. I mean, it'd be easy for you to put together a clinic or something where you just came over and ran and talked to some of the athletes, or if he has a particular athlete who's injured, you know, and just share 
you know, what you've been through and, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned to help, help get yourself kind of on course and on track. Absolutely. That's a great idea. All right. Well, if you make it happen or, you know, you put that to bring that to life, you know, let me know because I can always help promote it on, on my podcast channel, my Instagram channel, Strava, Facebook, all the different worlds and mediums that I use to touch and connect people. Um, it's all about sharing. And uh, that's what this show is about, sharing uh, inspirational stories and people who've been through a lot and come out on the other side, or maybe didn't even come out on the other side yet. Um, and they're on their way. Um, it's a journey, man. Running is a journey. Life is a journey. And you're just starting to figure it out. So it's super exciting. And, you know, to have been through so much on the injury side and to get healthy and to like throw down some of the times you're running, I'm excited to follow like where it's going to go from here, man. So it's super exciting. What's, uh, what's your next big race? Um, so I'm, I'm in the process of transitioning back to some faster stuff, trying to get my 5k time down a little bit. Um, working on finding out if colleges are going to be allowing open athletes into the races. I know Princeton has a couple, which won't be until, um, I think there's one at the end of April I was targeting for either a 5k or a 10k. Um, but other than that, I'm trying to fill every weekend with some sort of a track race just to kind of get my legs sharp again. And then in the fall, I'm going back to the marathon, either CIM or Philly. CIM or Philly. Love it. Mm -hmm. On the Aiming for the 237. Yeah. I love it. Put that goal out there. Commit, make that commitment. And you know, I want you, it. <laughs> you get it, get after it. And I know you're going to get it done. So when you get it done, you'll come back on. You'll tell us all about it. And on the track stuff, so again, Central Park Track Club, not just plugging my own club, like my master's running teammates. That's all they do is run track. That's it. They run in the nationals, they run in the international um track stuff that goes on. I'm trying to think where that's going to be housed this year. The indoor nationals are coming up soon because they're all kind of peaking right now, but they know all of that stuff. They're constantly going to run at a college meet and they're masters runner. So, you know, they're much older than you and still running crazy fast time. So I know that they're aware of this stuff. And if I can get some schedules to you or on some meets or that they're running in, I certainly can share it with you. So, you know, and you got the 237 target, it's CIM or Philly. My vote is CIM. Although <laughs> Philly, you can get the family involved. You get the whole crew, get your old college teammates out there. So there's, you know, and Philly's a fast course. There's nothing wrong with the Philly course at yeah. all. So I'm okay with either one, but, you know, definitely let us know what's up. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's really fun chatting with you and uh, hearing your inspiring story, man. So thanks for coming on and sharing with us. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So we, as we say at the end of every show, we tell all the runners to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was so much fun. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed Megan's super positive energy throughout our convo. Um, her spirit and her will is truly remarkable. I just can't even comprehend. I know what it was like for me personally bouncing back from one stress fracture, being sidelined for four months. I know what a toll it took on me mentally and physical. So just really just remarkably impressed by her spirit, her will, her determination. And you want to talk about staying in the fight, man, this is what it's really all about. So 
I'm proud of her for uh, hanging in there and just never giving up on her dream and, you know, digging in, learning so much more about nutrition and anatomy, you know, making that into her career and figuring it all out, getting it right and learning how to train properly and stay healthy and get physically stronger is only going to lead to uh, more amazing results for her. Man, I'm going to be stoked to follow that journey and see her take a big swing at the new Olympic trials marathon standard at 237 in the fall. Man, I'm rooting hard for Megan to get it done. So I hope you all enjoy this one as much as I did, and you'll continue doing all the great things that uh, the Run Chats audience does. Uh, Share uh, the episode out there into the universe, Facebook, Instagram, Strava, anywhere. Hey, word of mouth works too, man. Just let your friends know you found a good show and that this episode really Uh, It really stuck with you and spoke to you. It might help somebody who's been battling injuries and hasn't been able to get it figured out that uh, hearing somebody like Megan come through on the other side and really nail it um, might be just what somebody needs to uh, get their will and energy restored and uh, to get back out there, man, and get after it. So uh, let's keep doing all those positive things, my friends. And as always, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.